18. Allow me to read it for us. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is our passage for this morning. And here's a quick outline for us. Number one, a misplaced confidence. Verses 13 to 14. Number two, life under the sovereign will of God. Verse 15. And lastly, number three, arrogance and sin, verse 16 to 17. I encourage you to follow along with me in your Bibles as I go through each verse. Let me pray just one more time. Father, we ask for your help now as we come to your word. We ask for your help for our minds and for our hearts to not be distracted. We ask for our pride and our arrogance that you would take it away, cause us to be humble, Cause your spirit to work mightily in our hearts now to receive your word, knowing that not only will I be judged for everything I say, but we too will be judged based on how well we have obeyed and received your word throughout our lives. So help us now, God, to receive your word, to love your word, to obey your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in a world that is full of pride and boasting, the pride of life, the pride of possession, the pride and boasting of our own abilities and what is to come, well, James offers us a good word to help reorient us this morning and today and this coming new year. It is no surprise that we live in a world that places ultimate confidence in ourselves and perhaps in our plans over and above God. God, who's God? Who is that? I have myself, I have my own abilities, I am my own God, we say. Not too long ago, the Toronto Raptors were the NBA world champs over and above uh, the Golden State Warriors, hopefully a win we will all never forget. Before that though, Fred Van Fleet, one of the Toronto Raptor players, seemed to be getting better and better and was asked, asked something along the lines of, How did you accomplish so much? Or how did you get so much better? Something like that. And he replied something like, well, I bet on myself. Perhaps pointing to how he believed in himself. He trusted in himself. How did you do so well? Yeah, it was me. Or you can do it if you look to yourself. That type of mindset. Well, there's nothing wrong with having confidence. And in working hard, of course, we should work hard. We should plan well and get things done. Nevertheless, in our culture, it is the mindset of me, me, me. I did this. I did that. I will do this. I will do that. Nothing can stop me. This ultimate and arrogant self-confidence that places all hope and all trust and faith in our own control, in our own hands. This is the age that we live in, a man-centered, arrogant, self-centered world. We live in a culture where we make our own destiny, 
we set our own path, we accomplish everything we want, right? Well, brothers and sisters, do you live, do you plan, and do you work and spend your money like the rest of the world? Do you think too highly of yourself this morning? In your heart, is there any room left for God? In your mind, are you living as if God is your God or if you are your own God? Living no different from the world. So let me challenge you today to live your life under the sovereign will of God. If you learn anything from COVID and from this pandemic, you know that we are not our own gods. We are not ultimately in, in control of our lives. And our trust cannot ultimately be in ourselves. And this leads us to our first point. Living life with a misplaced confidence. A misplaced confidence. Verse 13 to 14. In verse 13 it says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Commentary notes how most likely James is addressing wealthy Christians similar perhaps to us. How it poses a question regarding how these wealthy Christians will use their wealth. Will it be the same as the world, or will it be based on God's guidance? So this opening verse of our passage is not, in fact, foreign to our understanding. We can relate to a sentence like this. Many of us make plans and do this and that to make money, to make profit. It seems normal in our everyday world. Yet, when we read this opening verse carefully... James is pointing to a certain heart and mindset that is not good. First, it addresses those who will go to a certain place and will trade, and then as a result of the going and as a result of the trading and investing or working, there will indeed be a profit and money that is made. There seems to be a type of man and self-centered confidence and expectation about how this will indeed happen. This going, this training, and this working will indeed all happen. And not only will this happen, it will result in profit and gain and money. It will. There's nothing about God. There's nothing regarding possible things that could happen tomorrow or possible problems that could arise. No, there is great confidence in tomorrow, in our plans, in the plans being made, in the profits and in the things to come. One commentator says that James's criticism is that they are in fact carrying on business just as the way every other merchant does. No different from the world. So once again, let me challenge you this morning to not live, to not work, or do anything in this world exactly how the world does. With the same mindset, that is, with a heart that the world has. Don't have a misplaced confidence in tomorrow and in your own abilities. Don't set or bet your life on yourself. Don't ultimately bank on yourself to control the events of tomorrow or to know exactly what will happen. Your plans aren't ultimate. And this seems to be the mistake of the Christians James is addressing in our passage. As we continue on, we see, and though these people and many people have this mindset, nevertheless, in verse 14, It says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James points us to reality and gives us a reality check. Wake up. He points out how Christians can often make these grand assumptions about life and boast about their abilities. Yet the truth is, 
perhaps a hard truth that we don't want to hear is that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. You are not God. You are not the one ultimately in control. You are, in fact, a mist. You see, the statement in verse 13 assumes a certain outcome and belief about the future when the future in reality, as verse 14 indicates, is not up to us. It's not up to us. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. And as James continues on, he says, what is your life? He points us to how our life is not of ultimate or supreme significance. The universe, tomorrow, the next day, does not revolve around us, nor can we control it. Some of you may have seen recently, or for a while now, people on the streets who have gotten into electronic smoking or vaping, right? In restaurants or in malls, we see people vape. They breathe in, they breathe out, and for a moment, all you can see is vape and smoke all around. Then, for, then instantly, almost, it's all gone. In a second, it's all gone. It's all vapor. Disappears like it never existed. Like mist that appears, then vanishes. James says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Brothers and sisters, consider how fleeting life is. Consider how temporary we are. We are a mist on this earth, a mist that vanishes. We are something that does not last long in comparison to God. Because we are simply vapor and we vanish. Therefore, we cannot know what tomorrow will bring. We therefore do not know what our life will bring. We cannot control it. We cannot see the future. We cannot control what will happen. Hopefully it goes without saying we know that we are not from everlasting to everlasting like God. We are not eternal as God is. We are not the creator of the universe. And we are not in control of history. But God is. God is the one who is in control. So give yourself this morning and to this new year to this perspective. You think you're great and powerful and strong. Well, the truth is we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We are vapor. In 1912, one of the greatest ships, as we know, uh, was built. It was named the Titanic. I'm sure many of us know and have watched the movie. A cruise ship that was built to last and provide utmost comfort. But a man named Philip Franklin, who was the vice president of the shipping line Titanic was part of, said, There is no danger that Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable. Well, as we know, what happened, Titanic did indeed sink, and about 70% of the ship's passengers and crew all died. Well, brothers and sisters, while this is an extreme example, we can see that history and our present day has no trouble living with a misplaced confidence. We are not in control. We do not know what tomorrow will bring once again. This vice president boasted and took pride in worldly things and his plans and what he thought was sure, that he didn't know that tomorrow would bring something different. How could he? He's just a mist. He's just a vapor like you and me. Psalm 90.12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We want a heart of wisdom. We don't want to be like this. Psalm 39.4 says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Make this your cry today. Do you know how fleeting you are this morning? 
Would it be your heart's desire to live under the rule of our sovereign God rather than your own rule? Have this right perspective this new year. You are not the God of your life. You are not ultimately in control. Your confidence, your boast, your pride should not be in yourself ultimately. You're a mist. So hold loosely to your worldly plans and to your ambitions. Loosely in the sense that they are not ultimate. They may change. No matter how hard you work, I hope this part of our passage does not make you despair. Isn't it a good thing to know that our confidence should not ultimately be in ourselves? In the hands of sinful, clumsy, foolish, and finite people. That our tomorrow is not ultimately dependent on us. If it was, that would be an issue, wouldn't it? Let your anxieties about tomorrow, about this coming new year, your worries and your tight grip on things loosen. There's something greater than us who controls tomorrow. Someone greater. There is someone more good, more holy, more wise, more accomplished who controls tomorrow. And that is good news for us this new year, this morning. And this brings us to our second point. Life under the sovereign will of God in verse 15. Verse 15 of our text says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James seems to say this in light of the truth of our lives, in light of the fact that we are a mist that appears and vanishes soon after. It is because we are not in control, and it's because we are like vapor, that we should therefore say, if the Lord wills, then we will live and do this or that. If it is in God's will, if God should choose to allow it to happen, if God ordains tomorrow, then we will do this or that. You see, brothers and sisters, This is the heart that James wants us to cultivate this morning. He wants us to focus and remind us of our transient lives, the frailty of life, the brevity of life, the temporary nature of life, so that we might have a heart that would properly rest in the sovereign hands of God. Not just in hypocritical words, but a true heart and mind that is resting in God's hands. A heart that screams, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. A heart that honestly believes that it is God who is in control. So is this your heart this morning? Do you desire to live under the sovereign will of God? Tomorrow belongs to the Lord, and this upcoming new year belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. So yes, we should plan, we should work hard, We should continue to do all that we do with wisdom, yet we are being told to not do these things like the rest of the world. Not to do those things with a heart and mind that believes that we are the ones in ultimate control. We should not make grand assumptions about our lives and about our talents and our abilities. But ultimately we plan, we work, and yet it will be God who determines tomorrow. We must acknowledge and believe that brothers and sisters. So rest in the sovereignty of God. Don't be like these wealthy merchants in James who may have put their full confidence and trust in their abilities and in their plans and worldly things. Quick application point about this. I want to ask, are you seeking to live every aspect of your life within God's will? I want you to think about that. When you go to work again this new year, are you thinking in terms of where God wants you to be? 
Are you planning based on where you think God wants you to be? What he, he wants you to be doing? Or, or are you simply doing what you want to do? What's in your best interest? Working where you want to work. Buying what you want to buy with no reference for God. Are you simply trying to fit God into the lifestyle that you have already built for yourself and chosen for yourselves? For example, it may be common to hear that college students desire to go far away for college. Why? Maybe to be away from home, to be more independent, to uh, be away from parents, and to go to school far away from here. But if that's the only reason we make those types of decisions in life based on our preferences alone, there's perhaps something wrong. We want to do ultimately what God wants us to do. Go to school where God wants us to go to school. To study where God wants us to study. To work where God wants us to work. Not simply where we want to work. Yes, preference is fine. It's important. But let's first consider where God wants us to go. As we often sing, we want the Lord to use our ransom life in any way he chooses. Don't we? So our hearts and our lives should be set on God's will, if it is God's will. God is ultimately in control, and he is ultimately good. So give your life to him. So in summary, we have seen so far that James is addressing those who have a misplaced confidence in themselves and in tomorrow and their plans. There's a problem in their thinking because it forgets to take into account who really controls life. We are simply vapor, a mist, Therefore, we do not know what tomorrow will bring, and therefore we should say, if the Lord wills, then we will do this or that. And James says that this is all true, yet there is still something wrong, and this brings us to our third point. Arrogance and sin, verse 16 to 17. Verse 16, verse 16 says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Yes, we are missed. Yes, we are temporary. Yes, we cannot control our lives. Yes, we should say, if the Lord wills, then we should do this and that. Nevertheless, in verse 16, James explains how this is not the case for these wealthy Christians. They are not acknowledging God as sovereign overall. James has shared all these truths about life, yet as it is, these Christians are boasting. They are boasting in their arrogance. So see the weight of the problem here in James. In their first statement in verse 13, we see an even greater problem in their hearts now when they say, today or tomorrow we will go here or there and trade and make profit. James is further explaining that these people were actually boasting in their arrogance. What does boasting in arrogance mean here? Well, it has in mind an attitude of superiority and great pride thinking highly of oneself and being so sure of yourself. One dictionary and lexicon explains how the word translated as arrogance means an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources. It is also an impious and empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. It may point to a display in one's style of living. 1 John 2.6 is another area in the Bible where we See this word for arrogance being used, but it's translated as pride. It says pride of life or pride of one's possessions. So what's going on here? These Christians are boasting in their arrogance. They are, they are talking 
and taking great pride in themselves. They are putting their trust in the world. They are arrogant. They think they are best, the best, superior. They assume to have the ultimate right to the things of tomorrow and to whatever they want. In modern-day language from the Oxford Dictionary, these Christians have, a reveal, have revealed an exaggerated sense of their own importance or abilities. So these Christians are sure about tomorrow. They are sure about their own abilities. And their hearts are acting as if they are God themselves. And what does James say about this arrogant boasting? He says in verse 16 that all such boasting is evil. It's evil. This prideful, condescending, superior mentality, this prideful confidence, this trust in earthly things and earthly plans, this pride of life, this pride of possession, this is all evil. This is evil against God, against how you should be acting and living and thinking this morning. So brothers and sisters, once again, don't forget that you are a mist, a vapor. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Tomorrow will happen if God wills it to happen. He's ultimately in control of tomorrow and the rest of your life. So don't forget. Don't forget that. Don't live this new year as if God doesn't exist. If you do, you live in this arrogance and scripture calls it evil. Then we come to our last verse which says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In light of all James has said about being a mist and in light of not knowing what tomorrow will bring, in light of the exhortation to live with a heart that rests in God's sovereignty, in his sovereign hands, then therefore, if we know the right thing to do and fail to do it, we sin. If we know that we are not to live with arrogant boasting, for example, if we know that we are to live in light of the sovereign will of God, if we know we are to trust in God's ultimate control and not our own, but we fail to do it, well, there's a problem. If we know better, but we decide to do what is contrary, that is sin. One commentator again says, these people are in the church and certainly each one knows the good he ought to do. All that James has spoken about in our passage today has led up to this statement regarding sin. To see yourself as God, to see yourself as one ultimately in control, to neglect the will of God day by day, to boast in your arrogant pride and self-sufficiency, that's evil. And failing to do the good you ought to do is sin. If you know that you should be doing something better with your time and money, but you do not do it, that could be sin. If you act a certain way at work and in business while you know you should be acting another way, perhaps more ethically, but you fail to do so, that could be sin. If you know God and his word tells you to do something that is good, but you fail to do it, that could be sin. If you neglect God throughout your days and week, though you know you should not be neglecting him, that could be sin. So brothers and sisters, are you neglecting God in your day-to-day life? This coming new year, will you neglect God all the more? Or are you living a life that is not in submission to Christ and his call on your life? Perhaps he's calling you to this place, calling you to that place to do something, but you refuse. You neglect him, and you don't want to hear from him. That could be an issue. Do your decisions, do your actions reflect a heart that is fully devoted to God? 
You know this is what is good. You know this is what the Bible prescribes for us. Yet if we fail to do this, it could be sin. How many of us have boasted in our arrogance and in our pride and in our sin? We are evil and wretched people. Not one of us in this room is free from pride and evil in our hearts. And we deserve eternal hell and condemnation against a holy God as we disobey and rebel against him, our creator God. Yet, in God's great love, he sent Christ to die on the cross for our sin, to come to this world as we just celebrated as a helpless babe, and to one day go to the cross, absorb the wrath of God, to die on the cross, to take our sin, so that whoever trusts in him should not perish but have eternal life. He resurrected, conquering sin and death, so that we trust in him, and in him alone, not in our works, not in our plans, not in our tomorrow, not in our abilities, but in Christ alone, we, are, we can be saved and forgiven of all our sin, forgiven of our pride and our arrogance, and have everlasting life. That's the call for all of us this morning, to trust in God, in our sovereign God, every day of our lives and receive eternal life. In closing, I just have one more point of application to make, since I've been trying to make some application already, and that's in regards to the sovereignty of God. I know I've mentioned this a couple times, how God is indeed sovereign, And in application, I want us to consider how it is for our own good that he is sovereign. Some people don't like to hear that he's sovereign. We we get into debates about this sometimes, perhaps. But it's for our own good, our own peace of mind, and for our own sanity that God is sovereign. All that we do. If God was not sovereign, then everything in this universe would really have to be up to us. Everything would perhaps be up to chance. There would be no meaningfulness to this life in suffering or in the good and bad that happens in this world. It just happens because it happens if God wasn't sovereign. Stephen Lawson says, The sovereignty of God is the free exercise of his supreme authority in executing and administrating his eternal purposes. I want us to have a positive picture of God's sovereignty and providence this morning. It is good for us to have a heart that cries out, If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, rather than being arrogant and prideful of our own ability and stuff. We have a God that is wise beyond all measure, who orders every event and thing on earth for good, under his wisdom. In the joy and pain of life, we can rest in God because he indeed is sovereign. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 19.21, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. But lastly, we come to Romans 8.28, a verse we should all know well. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So indeed, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he is. He controls all things. All our plans ultimately are in his hands. Yet, he is a wise and loving God. He will accomplish his will according to what he knows is best, especially for those who love him. In our personal lives, and for those of us who are Christian, God is working all things together for good. For good in our lives, according to his purposes, the hard things of life, the good things of life, the painful things of life. All this is from God, from a wise and loving God. 
It's not by chance that things happen to you. Hard things and good things, they're from God, a good and sovereign God. And it's a good thing, it is good news to know that our today and our tomorrow and this upcoming year are in His hands. An all-wise and all-knowing and all-loving God is controlling tomorrow. Seek His will, rest in His will, and trust in Him for your tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, indeed, you are a sovereign and infinite God, and we admit and we want to understand and cry in our heart that you control tomorrow and that you are sovereign and that you are indeed our God. We are not our own gods as much as we want to be our own gods, as much as we want to control the events of tomorrow. Help us not to be arrogant and prideful. Help us not to seek to always take things in in our own hands, to want to plan and plan until we are anxious, to work and work until we are anxious and worried. But help us to trust in you as our God, to know that you are working for our good, that our days and our lives are in your hands. When tragedy strikes, when suffering comes, and that's something that your word tells us will, help us to know that Even that, even the suffering, even the difficult days, the most dark of days are also in your hands, God. And you are working those things out. You are bringing those things. You are ordaining those things. And you are causing those things to happen, but ultimately for our good, if we are believers. This morning, if any of us do not yet know you, I pray that you would cause us to know you. You would cause us to turn from our arrogance and our pride and from our sinfulness, and to turn to you, God, as our wise and loving God, who in great wisdom and love sent Christ to die on the cross for our sin. How much more we as Christians can have peace in our lives if we trust in you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to know the great forgiveness of sin that is in you, God, this morning, so that as we approach the new year, that we might not be strangled by our anxieties and worries and pride, but that we might have a heart that ultimately rests and trusts in you. Cause us to do that this morning, to trust in you and have lives that are glorifying to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.